On November 16, 1961, a Greek cargo ship named the Captain Theo was traveling through the Bahamas when one of the crewmates spotted something strange on the horizon. At first, he thought it was a fishing boat, but he knew that a boat that size would never be that far from shore. So he gathered up some of his other crewmates and they watched as the object got closer, taking guesses at what it might be. But it wasn't until they were directly beside it that they could actually tell what they were looking at. And what they saw was so shocking, one of the men took a photo in disbelief, thinking that maybe his eyes were playing tricks on him. There, beside the massive ship, was a 2 foot by 5 foot cork raft. The raft was kind of like those circular rings that lifeguards carry, but much bigger. And sitting on top of it, waving at them, was a very young girl. The girl looked to be around 10 years old and was wearing a white cotton blouse and pink corduroy slacks. She was sitting hunched over so that her legs were out of the water, and the crew quickly realized why. Beneath her, multiple dark shadows circled around, occasionally disturbing the water beneath her feet. She was surrounded by sharks. So one of the crew members ran to go grab a ladder, and they pulled her in with a rope, careful to not tip the raft. They hoisted her up, and once she was on board, she collapsed. They tried to ask her questions, but she was incoherent and barely able to speak. Who was this girl? Where was her family? And most importantly, what was she doing in the middle of the ocean? So make sure you stick around until the end of today's episode to learn the answers to these questions and much, much more. In today's episode of the show, we will be covering the astonishing story of the sea orphan and the shocking turn of events that left an 11-year-old girl stranded in the middle of the ocean for almost four days. Welcome to the Truly Terrifying Show. If you like stories about crime, killers, or mystery, then this is the spot for you. I upload once per week on YouTube and all podcast directories, so if you want to support the show, please give a like and subscribe. I work really hard on every single episode, and I appreciate every ounce of support. With that, let's get straight into today's show. After they had hoisted her up and she was on board, the crew rushed to her aid. They fed her water and orange juice, and used sponges and wet towels to remove all the salt that had gathered on her skin. She was barely able to stay conscious, let alone speak, but somehow managed to get out one sentence. My name is Terry Joe Duperald, she said, before entering a semi-comatose state. The captain of the ship immediately contacted the U.S. Coast Guard and arranged for a rescue helicopter to come get the girl. Terry Joe was suffering from extreme sunburns, dehydration, and exposure, and was airlifted to the hospital in critical condition. Meanwhile, detectives were frantically searching for any information on the girl and the whereabouts of her family. A couple hundred kilometers away, a few days earlier, the Gulf Line oil tanker had experienced something extremely similar. They too spotted a speck on the horizon and made their way towards it. What they saw was even more troubling than the Captain Theo. This time, there was a much larger dinghy, and on it was a man that was waving and yelling frantically. As they got closer, they were able to hear what the man was saying. Help! I have a dead baby on board, he screamed. The crew quickly reeled in the dinghy and pulled up the lifeless body of a very young girl with striking red hair. The man was dehydrated and sunburned, but appeared otherwise okay, so the captain immediately began asking him questions. The story he told left the entire crew speechless. The man identified himself as Julian Harvey, 
an army veteran who had served as a bomber pilot in the Korean War. Since retiring from the army, Julian had sailed the world and had made a name for himself as a reliable captain. Only a week earlier, Julian had been commissioned to captain a boat called the Bluebell. He and his wife would be the crew for a family that was going on vacation. They began their trip in Fort Lauderdale, Florida and sailed south towards the Bahamas. The first few days of their trip went flawlessly. They'd successfully made it to the Bahamas and had already began their return route to Florida. But on the evening of November 13th, at around 8.30pm, everything went wrong. They had just finished eating dinner and were winding down to go to bed when the small ship was hit by a sudden and strong windstorm. The storm started so unexpectedly they didn't have time to adjust the main sails, and the bluebell nearly tipped over. It also hit so strong that the main mast snapped clean off. To make matters worse, when it snapped, the sail landed directly on top of Julian's wife and pierced the main hull of the ship. Stranded in the middle of the ocean, Julian panicked as the boat began to sink. He told the family to watch his wife, who had been injured badly, while he went below deck to see if he could stop the flooding. Once he was down there, disaster struck once again when an unexplained fire broke out engulfing the lower deck in a matter of seconds. Julian sprinted out of the hull and dove straight into the water. But in the frenzy, he didn't even think to check on his family or his wife, and assumed they had gotten off of the boat. Julian swam through the big waves around the half-on-fire, half-sunken boat, screaming out for the others. But when he went around it, he didn't see any signs of them. What he did find was an emergency dinghy, which he was able to inflate using a CO2 canister, and he climbed onto it. Julian sat there, screaming, as he watched the charred remains of the boat sink deep into the ocean. He blamed himself for not helping them. And at first, he held onto a sliver of hope thinking maybe they just got swept away by the storm. But when he spotted the lifeless body of the girl, he knew it was too late. With all hope lost, Julian decided he needed to get back to land. Luckily, he had paddles and extensive knowledge of ocean navigation, so he was able to paddle his way to shipping routes where he spotted the Gulf Lion. After Julian finished the story, the crew was dumbfounded. It was clear Julian was lucky to be alive. Given the severity of the event, the captain of the line immediately reached out to the Coast Guard. And the second they got back to land in Florida, Julian was brought in for questioning. During the interrogation, Julian told the exact same story. And to make sure, detectives cross-referenced it with the crewmates. At the end of his story, they had only one question for him. What was the name of the family that he had been on board with? Julian answered without any hesitation, and he said, Duperalt. They investigated the dinghy he had been found in and performed an autopsy on the child. The girl had drowned, which was consistent with his story, but inside the dinghy they found all the necessary supplies to survive. How is it possible that if he had somehow stumbled upon the dinghy, he had also found all these supplies? Also, at this point, the team dealing with Julian hadn't heard about the Duperall girl who had already been found alive. Back in Fort Lauderdale, Terry Joe had stabilized and had woken up from the coma, so doctors were able to gather some preliminary information about where she lived, who was on the boat with her, and where they were headed. And given this information, they were then able to connect Julian Harvey and Terry Joe, realizing that they had both survived. 
The team of detectives rushed straight down to Miami to find Julian, and when they did, they asked him to come into the station for some further questioning. Once he got there, they told him the news that Terry Joe Duperalt had been found alive. Upon hearing the news, Julian sat there, staring blankly at the detective, before smiling and saying, Oh my god, isn't that wonderful? The interviewee also told Julian that they would be conducting a full investigation into the disappearance of the Bluebell, and they would keep in contact with him. Upon hearing this, Julian said that he was tired and wanted to go visit his family, so the interviewee let him leave. Back in Fort Lauderdale, Terry Jo had almost fully recovered. She was up and walking around, and was finally feeling ready to speak with police. So she told her doctors, and within half an hour, the detectives were already at the hospital. But just before they were able to sit down and talk with Terry Joe, they received some new, more pressing news. After meeting with detectives for the second time, Julian Harvey had left the station and driven to a Sandman motel. He checked in under the alias John Monroe and paid for a room with cash. Only two hours later, a housekeeper found Julian in the bathroom laying in a pool of his own blood. He had slit his neck, thighs, and ankles. Beside him was a two-page suicide note addressed to one of his close military friends. In the note, Julian wrote that he was simply too tired and nervous, and he couldn't handle it anymore. The note also requested that the recipient take care of his 14-year-old son Lance, and that Julian would be buried at sea. Initially, the only reasonable explanation for the suicide was that Julian was suffering from severe PTSD, having witnessed such a tragic event. However, when looking back through interrogation footage, Julian seemed extremely grateful to be alive and said that he was going to take this opportunity to reconnect with his family. Additionally, the suicide seemed extremely abrupt and unplanned, which raised some alarm bells for law enforcement. But despite how strange everything felt, all of the evidence had been lost at sea, and it was beginning to look like they would never find answers. That was until the next day. On November 20th, Terry Joe finally sat down with detectives to tell her side of the story. The following is what she told police. Just like Julian had said, the first half of the trip went amazing. The passengers on the boat were Terry, her two siblings, her parents, and then Julian Harvey and his wife Mary. On the way to the Bahamas, they made stops to snorkel, tour tropical villages, and visit old friends. And three days into the trip, Terry's father met with one of his old army friends and told him, this has been a once-in-a-lifetime vacation. And by November 12th, the Bluebell had already begun its return trip to Florida. At around 9pm on November 12th, Terry Jo had just finished dinner where she had been fighting to stay awake. So she said goodnight to everybody and went below deck to go to sleep. The rest of her family and Julian and his wife were still up on the top deck talking and looking for bioluminescent marine life. The second she got into bed, Terry Jo fell asleep instantly. She slept for an hour or two when a loud noise woke her up. Above her, she could hear her brother screaming for their dad, which was followed by heavy footsteps. By the sounds of his screams, Terry didn't think she had ever heard him so upset, so she went up to investigate. When she got above deck, she entered the main cabin and tripped over something on the floor. There, laying in a heap, were the lifeless bodies of her mother and brother. Terry shook the bodies, hoping they were just asleep, when she noticed blood trickling down her mother's scalp. She began to let out a cry when a sound made her spin around quickly. 
Behind her, Julian was walking straight towards her. He was carrying a bucket which had a liquid sloshing around in it. And he walked straight up to Terry, smacked her on the head, and then pushed her down below deck, telling her to get back down there. So she went back down and she sat on her bed crying. And after a few minutes, she noticed a puddle of gasoline trickling down the stairs. Then out of nowhere, Julian ran into her cabin holding a gun. He looked Terry Joe straight in the eyes and paused for a moment. Then he turned and he went back upstairs. So Terry continued to sit there crying and listening to strange noises that were coming from above her. After 10 minutes, she got curious again and decided to sneak back upstairs. On the side of the ship, Harvey was loading up the vessel's dinghy with supplies. She tried to be sneaky, but he instantly noticed her and waved her over. He told her to untie some ropes, and when she did, he jumped straight onto the raft and began paddling away. At first, she was relieved. She had no clue what was going on, but something told her that Julian was bad news. She turned back to the ship, hoping to find her dad or sister still alive somewhere, only to notice that the ship was sinking extremely quickly. She screamed out for her family, but there was no reply, so she untied a small cork floaty and jumped on it just as the bluebell fully submerged. Terry Jo had to watch as her family sunk to the bottom of the ocean as she slowly drifted out to sea. And over the following days, she sat awkwardly on the tiny raft, praying to God and making sure not to dip her feet in the water. She had no food or water and was exhausted beyond belief. She knew that if she dozed off even for a second, her foot would enter the water and she would be attacked by one of the sharks circling below. This continued for almost three full days before she was finally picked up by the Captain Theo. Altogether, from what they had heard, detectives were certain Julian Harvey was responsible for the Bluebell murders. But why had he done it? And why had he treated Terry Joe differently? A massive investigation was instantly launched into Julian's recent history, and it would explain almost everything. After the Korean War, Julian had extreme difficulty holding a job for any length of time. He had worked at dozens of places and had quit or been fired quickly. As a result, he had serious financial problems. Whether it be the money or just his personality, he also had trouble maintaining his relationships. His wife, Mary Jean, who had been on the Bluebell, was actually his sixth wife. These details alone didn't prove anything, but instead, they explained his motive. Only a couple months before the Bluebell departed, Julian took out a $40,000 life insurance policy for Mary Jean. Julian then plotted his perfect murder. He would bring his wife into the middle of the ocean and would stage an accident that would result in her death. This would allow him to claim the $40,000, but there was only one problem. He didn't have a ship, and he didn't have anyone to corroborate his story. So when he heard that a family needed a crew to charter the Bluebell, he seized the opportunity. His plan was to murder his wife, then start a fire and flee the boat with the family, claiming that she had perished from the accidental fire. It's speculated that when Julian was completing the heinous act, he had been caught by one of the other passengers. At this point, he freaked out and decided he had no choice but to kill the whole family. After murdering everyone on the boat, except for Terry, he broke the hull of the boat and started a fire, leaving Terry stranded. He knew that she would pass away, 
and decided he didn't want to kill her in the same way. Then, he grabbed the body of the young girl to help add sympathy to his story. In conclusion, it was found that Julian was guilty of the murder of Arthur, Jean, Brian, and Renee Duperalt, and Mary Jean, and the attempted murder of Terry Joe. Additionally, after searching further into Julian Harvey's past, investigators discovered that he had previously survived a 1949 car accident that had killed his second wife and her mother. His car had lost control and fell off a bridge. Julian swam to safety, leaving his wife and mother-in-law to drown. In this case, Julian successfully claimed the life insurance policy. It's unsure whether this was a tragic accident that could further explain Julian's persona, or if it was just another staged killing to make money. What is for sure is that Julian will never hurt anybody again. Terry Joe later married and had three children, and decided to live and work on the ocean. She is now retired and lives in Wisconsin. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode of the show. I really hope you liked it. If you have any tips or suggestions, don't hesitate to tell me. You can leave them in the comments or on my Instagram or TikTok. See you next week.